Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. So a very good morning to you. You're very welcome to today's Signpost webinar. We hope you're keeping safe and well today. Uh, this series is brought to you by Chagask in collaboration with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, the National Rural Network and Food Drink Ireland Skillnet. So as we continue our focus on heritage, uh, it's part of National Heritage Week, and today we're going to be look, discussing traditional farm buildings and their protection. And I'm delighted to be joined by Anna Meenan, Project Manager with the Gloss Traditional Farm Buildings Grand Scheme with the National Heritage Council, uh, who, and Dr. Catherine Keena, Countryside Management Specialist with Chagask. You're very welcome, Anna, to the Signpost webinar series. Many thanks, Mark. Delighted to be here. And good morning to you, Catherine. How are you today? Good morning, Mark. Great. So, Anna, could you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing in the Heritage Council? Uh, so to give our, our viewers uh, an understanding of, of what happens uh, in, in you're based in Kilkenny, is that right? Uh, we're based in Kilkenny in terms of in the Heritage Council. Well, the role I'm involved in is in the Gloss Traditional Farm Buildings Grant Scheme, but the Heritage Council itself we're involved in lots of different programs underway obviously at the moment is Heritage Week. There's also Heritage in Schools programs. We're involved in towns. We're involved in archaeological conservation. For anybody who is watching nationwide during the week, you might have seen our Adopt a Monument program featured. Uh, I suppose it's, it's a, and of course, also our, our different wildlife programs as well. So it's a, I suppose it's a, it's a huge resource that uh, we're, very, we're very lucky to, let's say, be involved in programs and also policies on, and also, of course, our grant schemes as well. We're really looking forward to your presentation, and I know you have some lovely photographs to share with us, so I might ask you to share your screen uh, okay. with us, and we get straight into the presentation, and Catherine, okay. you're going to help us with questions afterwards. We'll hand over to you, Anna. Okay, thanks, Mark. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, I've enjoyed listening to the talks, and I hope people don't mind. I'll be talking through my notes. It's going to help me not go on a tangent. I suppose, what I'll say, and I always say this in terms of this screen, is that it had a novel starting point. Its funding source is in an agricultural measure to protect the environment. And it's always been considered the recognition that these buildings as being worthy of support in the environmental protection context is considered groundbreaking. The grant scheme, it was conceived of and valorized as a contribution to the conservation of the rural landscape character through their repair. Like it's in the RDP, what it states in terms of the objective is that it's to ensure that traditional farm buildings and other related structures that contribute to the character of the landscape and are of significant heritage value are conserved for agricultural use. So landscape heritage use matter. Landscape painting in Ireland often chooses as its theme the subsistence dwelling set in the picturesque surroundings that sustain a mode of life. I suppose Paul Henry is the most famous in this. In Ireland, vernacular built heritage is practically synonymous with thatched roofed houses or cottages. They play a central role in the symbolic self-understanding of Irish people as rural, self-sufficient and resourceful. I suppose that this image has come under threat as a result of the forces of cultural modernization, particularly in the latter half of the last century. And it's maybe it's beginning to represent an ideal rather than a lived reality. And our particular concern is that if the image of the vernacular is fossilized, it will be seen to have disappeared. And it is very much part of our living tradition. 
the public value of the landscape continues to justify the funding for this scheme. House long gone, but outbuilding still remains. We support the conservation of many vernacular buildings on this scheme. And also most of the buildings that we support on the scheme, they're not, let's say, protected under any particular legislation, such as, you know, as a protected structure. And vernacular built heritage in particular is connected to its immediate context. The building, it doesn't exist in isolation. It's created from its surroundings. This is a building just a few miles west of the Cage of Fields in North Mayo that was supported. The scheme, it's always been aimed at getting farmers to put a cultural value on their building. And we've always had a question on the form asking farmers to tell us about its heritage interest. Um, just to note that there's a hill just cropped off to the left of this photo and it's known as Slate Hill. That's how it's known locally. And that's the hill which provided the roof covering and the walls of this particular building. It's not named on any map, but was told to us by the farmer when informing us of its cultural value. <laughs> Can you spot the farm building? <laughs> this is a project in the Mam Valley in Connemara. You might see the, <laughs> the, the red tin roof there. Uh, I suppose Mam, it's uh, in terms of the old Irish, in terms of mountain pass, language and landscape. And this is it, let's say, in terms of closer up. Um, and also, again, in terms of the wider surrounding of the landscape. And the reason why I'm showing this photo, it took at least three years before the applicant could provide that photograph, even though I had a number of discussions with it. It's almost that he knows the building so well that he couldn't consider in terms of the landscape. It's the interconnectivity of everything. Like we look at the landscape, we look at the building, we look at the materials, we look at the people. But also the thing I always kind of try to, I suppose, elaborate is that it's called the traditional farm buildings grant scheme. So, but what we take into account is its cultural heritage value, its landscape value, its habitat value, the environmental sustainability, and also what we call best value, including value for money. So value for money matters, but it's also the other values that matter just as equally. The emphasis in terms of the actual works or the projects is on the process rather than stylistic or aesthetic results. From the very beginning in devising the details aims of this scheme, we set out to encourage the owners of the buildings to carry out the repairs themselves. As farmers always have had a reputation for being hands-on. And also the farm buildings aren't for human habitation. And this gives us scope for experimenting with traditional building techniques as in a, in a sense, uh, I suppose the stakes are lower. One of our ambitions of the scheme is using materials gathered from the locality as far as possible. I suppose it's both sustainable and affordable. The farmer in the previous photograph on the left, uh, that's Tommy Crehan in Galway, and this is his project, which is really quite exemplary. And those materials that were on display on the table are the materials that he used for carrying out the repairs here and most of which were sourced from his own land, including the yellow top, the yellow dog, which uh, is provided that let's say the mortar or the pointing for that building. This is a very special case. This is the work of the daughter of a farming couple in uh, County Mayo. She's a young woman in her early twenties. Um, she wanted to carry out the mortar repairs herself, had never done it before. 
uh, she had hoped to get the mortar of the building analysed, but there was quite a long waiting time, so she decided to try and match it up herself as closely as possible. That photo in the bottom right, that's an example of her mortar mix seven. This is what she states. Colour is too orange when compared to the original mortar. Similar setting pro properties to mortar mix six, soft and setting rate slow, easy to apply. Not sandy looking enough compared to original mortar mix. The collection of sample proved to be quite difficult and it was very overgrown and only visible in two locations. The colour is too strong of an orange. There's also not enough aggregates showing through the mortar. Next sample, mix sand with grandad sand to increase aggregates. Keep lime content high to try and encourage a better setting rate. And it's grandad sand because this was grandad's farm which he has taken on. And you can see the effort in terms of the top right of the various mortar mixtures she tried. I think it was 25 and in the end she went with mortar mix 24. And like this isn't something that we asked to do for her to do. This is something she wanted to do. And something like that you support someone in terms of that kind of experimentation. We asked that a conservation consultant be engaged to oversee repairs. But I suppose I would always consider our best projects have will be equal partnerships in terms of respect between conservation consultant, owner and builder where there is one employed. It's a kind of what you might call in terms of the specification. It's not a formal building contract as such, but it can be quite an experimental approach, shared approach in terms of a, this is what I've tried. Why not try this? We think this particular approach strengthens the relationship between people and their buildings. And this project is a particular exemplary project recognizing that which was funded and it's in Donegal and it also represents the challenge of low key repair, an excellent partnership between owner, builder and conservation consultant. That roof covering, it's a stone slate uh, known as Roisin slate. It's a slate distinctive to only a few square miles of the locality. This is north of Valcara. And whilst the buildings are modest, they help represent the very special character of the area. Instantly, when I see that slate, I am transported. I know where I am. It was possible to quarry slates directly from an existing seam to the rear of the garden, just where you see on the left there. I suppose that whole idea of the land bearing fruit and also, just to note, these slates, they're originally fixed with wooden pegs embedded in lime mortar. And the builder tried a variety of materials in making up the new pegs. Now that's something very onerous to do. The local bog timber on the left produced a virtually identical result to the original. And also with bog oak, the ends splay slightly when hammered home. And this helps to keep the pegs in place. And also the same conservation consultant and builder have used the experience that they gained here in carrying out repairs to another similar roof structure in the locality. And this is also another project in Donegal that we had supported with a small grant previously and also is going to be supported again with another small grant. The heritage value of this site, it's encapsulated by the entire group of buildings. That thatch house, it was very originally clearly two separate dwellings. And just to note that rounded pitch roof, that's designed to impact, minimize, I suppose, the impact of high winds in exposed areas, such as the Innisfree Peninsula, which this building is at the very north of. 
and also the survival of that thatched outbuilding that is even rarer than a thatched house and it adds further value to the heritage value of this site that thatch covering that's flax and that local flax will be used in carrying out the patch repairs that are needed here uh, it'll need to be pulled and also retted to improve the performance when we consider works we consider works that needs to be done and that focus on need uh, the key conservation principle is minimum intervention what i suppose how i describe it is as little as possible but as much as necessary uh, what, what we're doing by trying to do that is we're focusing on an approach that is securing historic fabric, not just for heritage reasons, but also for environmental reasons. With a roof such as that, that's very intact parching. I suppose that's what you might call the original membrane to a roof. So we can have, but on this scheme, we have the flexibility to ditch what might be considered good practice such as the use of a felt underlay under slate. We don't allow it on this particular scheme for several reasons. One being that the breathable version is considered deathly harmful to bats and we want to protect them as much as the buildings. The builder here, he had come across using lime parging in the 1960s, but hadn't used it since. And he has since worked on a number of farm building projects where his skill in applying it, I must say, has really continued to develop. And just that photo on the left, parging needs a fiber component. You want it to stick, you don't want it falling down on top of your head. And cowtails is certainly a fiber component. They're washed cowtails that a farmer came up in terms of using in Galway. Now, not everybody would use this. There's other more modern materials that you can use and bought materials, but that's a free and local material. Annoying for the cows though. And I suppose another reason that we want to support parging is that we very much want to support traditional skills on this scheme, including the wet trades, such as the plasterer. I call that beauty and utility. So if someone can line, apply lime parging to the underside of slates, they can also apply lime renders to walls. Our focus is on retaining and reusing as much of the materials on the buildings as possible. This is a Killaloo Slate building. Now Killaloo Slate, it's actually quarried in Portro, but it was exported all over the world and obviously left on boats from Killaloo. Now that roof, it's laid in diminishing courses. Very great effort was made in terms of retaining and reusing as much of the slate, but no matter how much care you use, there is going to be a shortfall. So you have to consider the slate that you're going to use in terms of the shortfall. We will consider new slate, but what we consider most importantly is color, material, texture, and thickness. And it's secondhand slate is going to be used. It must be soundly sourced. We do not want the slate of a repairable building being used and carried out repairs on this particular scheme. Restoration works are considered a low priority on this scheme. There's certainly a place for restoration, but this scheme's focus is on conservation of existing fabric. But we can and have supported on occasion. This is a project in Tipperary. Just in terms of the left, top left photo, you can see there's another 19th century building just on the corner on the right behind the tractor. 
the farmer here, he had carried out the repairs to that building. He had repaired the roof, I must say, very sympathetically. He also uses that building very well. There's 17 cows milking there every day. So it gave confidence to, let's say, the grant assessment panel that if we were to support and the department to support the reinstatement of a roof on this building, that the building would be well used. And I, can yeah. I ask a question just in relation to your definition of uh, restoration versus yeah. uh, uh, protection or yeah. what is the main difference there? Well, let's say there's restoration, there's conservation, there's repair. If a roof, if a building has without, is without a roof, then, the, then there's a huge desire to restore a roof, to restore that building. So one of the ways in, to, in terms of restoring that building is reinstating a roof on it. We don't consider restoration unless, these are the reasons, unless we have strong evidence for it. We have, let's say we have also a building, let's say if you've got a building with an existing roof on it, it could be an early roof on it, an early 19th century roof. That building retains more of its historic fabric than a building without its roof. Now, it doesn't mean that, so, and our interest is trying to reuse existing fabric, reuse existing materials in the repairs that we carried out. Does that answer the question, yes, Mark? Yes, thank you. Is that okay? <laughs> this is another project, let's say, that was what we would call where we're re restoring a roof on it. Owners had removed the slates at some stage. Uh, but had also saved them for reuse. They were very concerned in terms of particular collapse on this roof. And, uh, it's, and uh, also um, they have looked after very much other buildings on this scheme. And this is the photo we see the following year. That building is back in use for that farm. And it's also what we would call is reusing an existing asset there, which is quite something. The buildings were built to be used. This is a particular case, the applicant here, he had been refused planning permission, uh, I don't know, it was a 2017, 2018, for the demolition of this building and its replacement with a slatted shed. In one of the reasons for refusal, the Cork County Council stated, it, they stated, not only is the loss irreversible and destruction is also contradictory, since such demolition as part of the historic landscape should not be promoted or accepted without good reason. And reference should be made to the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine and the Heritage Council, which is understood to have recently reintroduced grants under the Gloss Traditional Farm Buildings Grant Scheme. This building, this was originally the house which he was born in, but he had long used it as a farm store, but it had come to a point that it needed quite a significant investment. And this is also a fantastically special landscape, a very historic, vulnerable landscape. The Atlantic is just to the left, the Bearer Way is just to the right. And this building sits as snug as a bog in that landscape. And I will say also, when you stand within it, it's surprisingly spacious. And he stores, he uses it very well. Unfortunately, that internal photo is not particularly good. But one of the things that you notice is that everything is stored on the ground. Look at all that empty space above. He could even be getting a much better use out of that building. This is um, June Burke, sheep farmer in County Mayo. 
but she's also a, a wool spinner, a crafter, a maker. So the building has a variety of different uses for her in terms of her farm and, and how she farms and how she, let's say, in terms of her environmental use. Another, I suppose, incredibly useful purpose for these buildings is serving as homes to wildlife. I think uh, we had one project last year that didn't have maybe bats or birds, but I'm hoping that in terms of the repairs that we did carry out, that it now actually is serving as home for wildlife. A condition of offer on most of the projects is that an applicant must arrange to have a wildlife survey carried out to see what wildlife might be using it and so that recommendations can be put in place to protect it and also perhaps also enhance it. There was a very significant maternity roost of Nashworth Bast here. An applicant stonemason conservation consultant worked very closely with the ecologist to protect that roost and also to ever increase the potential of that building. Uh, what I would say is never buy a farm that doesn't have bats. This is a building, I received the bat bird report this week on it. It's a building we're supporting this year in County Meath. And it's, the ecologist states that this is the first confirmed roost of whiskered bats in that county. And that's of any building, not just a farm building. There's also brown long-eared bats roosting there, common pipistrels, swallows, thrushes, and I can't remember what else. The photo on the top right, that's a very exciting discovery for us. That's happened in the last few weeks at a building in County, War, uh, County Galway. That's a roost of lesser horseshoe bats. Uh, they're found in six counties in the, uh, along the Atlantic. And I think that's our first ever discovery on the scheme of that particular bat. Of that particular bat. In the case of barn owls, uh, I will say wherever barn owls have been discovered on this scheme, the one common denominator that all the farmers share is that they do not use rodenticide. There may be other factors, but that is one of the things that they have. And of course, we also have, I haven't put up swallows and thrushes and wrens, which are probably are the most dominant bird species using the buildings. Now, oh, sorry, I must go back there. One of the challenges that we have with uh, buildings as wild, live roofs, we have probably some conflict between nature conservation and also architectural heritage conservation. Uh, we work with building lines in architectural heritage conservation and generally winter temperatures, frosty times is not the best time to be using them, but we do our best and it's an ever present challenge. And that uh, building there in that range in terms of on the border County, County Carlo, uh, I must say met, successfully met that and we feature that case study on our website and it's worth looking up for anybody who does have bats. Very challenging that you need very skilled people involved and also a certain amount of luck. Oops, sorry, skipping ahead. I will say we've got a lot of skilled people working on the scheme, including blacksmiths. That's a skill which is, I think, particularly admired by farmers. Balyanyan is, I think, the town of the Smith. There's at least uh, 25 townlands by that name in Ireland. And we can support this skill because we're supporting things like wrought iron field gates, as well as gates to particular buildings. Who wouldn't want hinges or ironmongery like that on their building? 
And also, I suppose the work of the stonemason, this, the, the projects here, there's very experienced stonemasons involved. The stonemason in terms of the project on the right, uh, thanks to his knowledge and expertise, he could analyze the mortar and also design his own mortar on site. The stonemason on the left, a very experienced stonemason. And in terms of repairing to that roof, a stonemason probably is the person to be involved in that. That's a glass lack and slate roof in County Wexford. And I will say, if you're ever thinking about carrying out repairs in terms of a slate roof, and you want to see the extent maybe of slippage, prop your ladder on a gable rather than at the front of the rear. And that way you can look down to the courses and see the extent of slippage if necessary. Oops, again, I'm slipping ahead, apologies. Uh, one of the things that I came across recently was that in the mid-1970s, Japan passed a law that protects techniques or craftsmanship that are indispensable to the preservation of cultural property. In Ireland, we have somewhere in the region, it's estimated 175,000 buildings still standing that were constructed before 1919, so that is traditionally built. And for these buildings to survive, they really need the skills that went into making them to remain living traditions. The builder originally involved here, he's very experienced in terms of all things earthen. He had previously rebuilt a ruinous 1700s clay building on his own land. And what he would say is a lot of people are curious about it and can't believe that clay can hold a wall up. Well, yes, it can. And these, I suppose, just not to concentrate just solely on the buildings, we can also support other related structures. So we do have applications in this year for walled orchards, as well as a number of boundaries and field gates. That's a pack horse bridge on the top left. That's a ridge that was originally the main Dublin to Wicklow Road. Also a number of, let's say, dry stone boundaries. Uh, field gates on the left. I'd love to see more applications coming in for wrought iron field gates. And also, much more rare, a dungstead. I think I've only come across about two in the last few years. Oops, again, apologies. Um, one of the other, I suppose, things that we really have to, these buildings are hosts of stories, memories, but also artifacts. It's not just rats that like wall plates, they can make great hiding places. The photo on the top left in terms of, let's say, the decade of commemorations that we're marking at the moment is quite a significant find. And the photo on the, the bottom right, that's a find that was made last year that the National Museum is particularly interested in, but has not yet been able to see. We found two in terms of the pikeheads. And, uh, that's just that's just a sample. There's so much still held uh, on this on this building. Apologies. Signed in. Oh, cancel. Apologies. Uh, oh. uh, cancel. Don't know what's happening there, Mark. Apologies. The panel is uh, just not moving on for you, is it? Yeah. Uh, no. Now we're okay. Uh, this is a different uh, lap laptop that I'm using. Apologies, people. Uh, now, this particular, this is a fascinating collection of farm buildings in County Donegal, and there is some historical information on it. That main house, which is at the top right, 
It appears to have been established in around 1690, 90, so in the 17th century plantation period. It was extended in the late 19th century. The farm it has there, it has a slate quarry, a forge, a lime kiln, a water-powered scutch mill, a circular pigeon house, as well as the usual agricultural buildings. Most of the buildings, they appear to date from the 19th century, and that's some of the buildings that we're supporting. But also, we found a souterrain. The farmer called us, uh, they had a new person plowing the land who plowed just that little bit deeper, and it, dis it dislodged, let's say, um, just a stone, and national monuments have been involved in this, and now that is also protected and helps in terms of what we now know in terms of the history, not just of that farm, but also in terms of our country. Uh, this is probably one of the more unusual structures that we've supported on the scheme in terms of the left. The scheme, it is called the traditional farm buildings grant scheme, but in gloss, and we do state this, that we can support other traditional buildings only where it is clearly demonstrated they are in long established active agricultural use. And the farmer who owns this tower house was able to demonstrate that very clearly to us in this application. And that tower house, it's highly protected. It's protected as a protected structure under the Planning and Development Act. It's protected under as a recorded monument under the National Monuments Act. It's protected under the Wildlife Act as it has peregrine falcons and different um, bat species using it. And so there was different permissions to be gained. And I would say, and also farmer carried out all the repairs himself to a really, really high standard. The structure on the right, the building, um, the slate roof that was carried out, the repairs that were carried out by a very uh, skilled uh, roofer, but farmer carried out, let's say the pointing works to the stonework. And he has a number of other structures here on this farm including that medieval hall house. And we hope that maybe with the skills that he has acquired, that it will help him with permissions to continue to, let's say, secure the different structures here on there. Communication on heritage is key. We would always say that. We publish numerous guidance on this scheme, but probably our best means of communicating is when we have actually been out at the farm and communicating with builder, with owner, with, with, you know, in terms of actual having a conversation and discussion. That's obviously become more difficult uh, in COVID times and where telephone conversations have, let's say, taken precedence. One of the conditions of the grant, uh, we're always interested in extending the value of the grant, is that people must do something in terms of uh, extending the public benefit of the grant. So a lot of farmers have held open days on their farm. That's probably the, the most uh, popular uh, means of doing it. And I will say as a heritage body, it allows us to reach a farming community in a way maybe that we wouldn't be able to otherwise. And the training days, they are held on the buildings that are being supported on grant aid. And so obviously can serve as an exemplar for others who own such buildings. We've also organized training days with other organizations, uh, such as the Building Lines Forum of Ireland. And we're funding a training day at Shankill Castle, Paulstown in County Kilkenny that was supported last year under the scheme. 
and that training day it'll be repairing of let's say historic walls in terms of using hot lime and earthen mortars and that's happening on the 4th of September and it's a physical event. We also feature uh, quite a number of case studies on the website as well as now short films and I do know that people are watching the short films and they're also looking at those case studies where we've put up some very good detailed photo examples. Now this is the work of a systems builder. Now a systems builder, it, you know, they can build new but we also know that we need people to repair, know how to repair traditional load-bearing masonry. But I must say, this is a very good first attempt. Uh, also, every year, apart from this year, we have our gathering, generally a Midlands location, where anybody who's going to be involved in a project, the farmer, the builder, conservation consultant, ecologist, planner, anybody who's going to be involved is welcome to attend. And I would say what I think is there's something special about gathering everybody in the one space and also that it's not in their space. Uh, I suppose what I would say is what next? We're in transitional arrangements this year and next year in terms of the scheme. We think we're doing good work on the scheme, that good things are happening. But what could we be doing differently? I would say we have our own ideas, but I'd really be interested in terms of hearing from others what they could see in terms of how this scheme might change, how, how we could improve it, how we could enhance it, how we might change it, what's worth doing. So one of the things that I always think about and things in terms of the scheme they're contributors to the landscape. They're hosts of memories and, and skills. They're a useful resource. They're a host of embodied energy. You know, there's so many different things to them. They're a wildlife habitat. They're also, and some of the something that I suppose we don't call about, think about is the beauty that they contribute to our landscape. But I honestly don't know how I can quantify that. And I always end on this slide. If you're allowed to have a favourite grant applicant, this lady is it. <laughs> Thanks for listening and apologies for the little glitches in this. <laughs> That's great, Anna. Thank you so much. And really enjoyed all. the presentation. And uh, it's nice not to be looking at graphs and uh, <laughs> <laughs> for a change. So uh, so really do. We, we, have, we, have, we have them, but I thought I'd leave them out. <laughs> you spared us. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Um, a lot of questions coming through there from, from people around uh, buildings that are they would love to conserve, but they're yeah. not in, in the glass scheme. Yeah. Uh, are there supports for uh, projects like that out there? It's, um, it's, it's, quite, it's, it's difficult. I mean, let's say the glass traditional farm building, so you have to be in glass. If your building is a protected structure, the local authorities run grant schemes. There's the Built Heritage Investment Scheme. There's also the Stark Structure Scheme. Also, la last also when I'm saying last year, this year, for the first time, there was a pilot scheme for a vernacular structures fund. And that could have been very interesting to people who own, let's say, who have farm buildings, whether they're dwellings or, let's say, outbuildings. Now, it was a pilot scheme. 
it was a, a small enough pot of money, but like it's an introductory scheme. The department of uh, the department is looking at let's say a vernacular built heritage strategy. So I would be quite hopeful that that scheme might let's say come about in terms of in the future. You know, we've also have our community heritage grant scheme, and we have supported buildings on that scheme. But that scheme, it's in terms of, let's say, for community benefit. So if it was something in terms of, let's say, your private dwelling, that uh, wouldn't be eligible under the scheme. Catherine, um, Anna mentioned uh, the issue of rodenticides and uh, the, the, the wider issue of secondary poisoning. Um, what, what is the advice there for farmers um, around this? And, and, and do we know the scale of the problem in Ireland? Um, there's definitely a problem. I mean, it has been shown in, in, in the barn owls, um, you know, how many of them have, a high percentage of them have rodenticide in, in their bodies when they're dead. Um, now, I suppose, ideally, use none. Go back to the cats, um, the traditional way. I, I, the, farmer, the number of farmers I would see who don't use it um, tend to have cats yeah. around the place. Um, uh, but then for the general, we're not going to change. I'd say maybe, I don't know, just on the last courses, we did a, a, a series uh, on each uh, around the country. And I would say maybe 10, 10% maybe weren't using it. That was just very rough. So for the others, they're probably not going to stop overnight. Or, but most importantly, Mark, I think is the change from what we as advisors would have said um, way back as to keep, keep it out all the time to following the, we, there's a lot of effort gone into to developing a code of, of best practice uh, for the campaign of responsible rodenticide use. So mm -hmm. I think every farmer, and it's not very well known, we've, we've done our best, but it is mm -hmm. difficult to get out there. So, and the big change in one sentence, I suppose, Mark, is rather than leaving it out all the time, if you do have an infestation, and we must say we do not want rodents um, around food um, on a farm, so we're not advocating for that. But if you have a problem, it's a case of uh, blitz it, do it properly, record, you know. So the campaign for responsible identified use is something perhaps we should cover at some other stage. But um, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Catherine. And just a, a final question for me, uh, Anna, you mentioned the, the, the term fossilization, I think, of, of, of some of our, our, our built heritage. Um, yeah. Can you elaborate on that for me? Well, one of the things I suppose is that, um, you know, I meet people, uh, you know, you're going around the country and obviously it's also, I'm particularly interested in vernacular buildings. There's still, still people, let's say, living in their attached house, you know, it's a very, and like one of the things I will say, someone who lives in a attached house, they'll always call it attached house. They don't use the word cottage. So like it's, 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 and it's something obviously they're all, all they're represented an awful lot in terms of our tourism. They provide an awful lot in terms of let's say our let's say artistic inspiration. But but we need we need people living in them. We need people, you know, and if they're not living in them, in terms of using them in some way, you know, it's it's still it's still possible in this day and age <laughs> to serve as a comfortable home. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's no, I, I agree with you. I think we, we can't uh, repair these buildings and, and wrap them in cotton wool and just pack them yeah. away. I think yeah. the best sustainable use for them is to yeah. you know, actually that, make did you, 
Do, can I just add do, do, that project in Donegal, the ensemble, which has the, the slate roof, the, the tin roof stable, the thatched out building, and the, the long thatched house, that thatched house is not lived in, but one half of it is in use as his workshop. It's a very good active use for that building. He's in and out of it every day. It's also when well ventilated because the door is open and all of that. I think what he could also be doing is lighting a fire there. It, what, just one or two sods, if not every day, every second day in terms of, let's say, keeping that patch dry, you know? So it's, you know, it's possible. Just before we go to, to audience questions, just to remind everybody that we are in the middle of National Heritage Week and there are hundreds and hundreds of events happening across the country to celebrate uh, uh, free largely. Uh, and yeah. uh, I, I was just looking up in County Galway here, there's 76 events taking place this week, which <laughs> is, is fantastic. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. So do look at just Google Heritage Week and uh, you'll, you can pick out an area, I'm sure, which uh, would be of interest to you. So Catherine, uh, some really good questions coming through from our audience. Yes, and uh, money talks, I suppose, Anna. And, uh, <laughs> we, know back, we know that. <laughs> back to the actual glass scheme, um, are they, the, can you give us a few examples of the, the range of, of projects um, each year and maybe the amount they cost and a cost of the grant, or either a typical or the average? how much grant they get? Uh, the range of projects, we say about between, we can support now between 70 to 80 projects a year. There was a time when it was, you know, 40 to 50. So that's, that's really good, you know? Uh, I think there was 76 or 78 last year. Sorry, I don't have the, the quite thing. The grants range between 4,000 and 25,000 euro. So for a project of 4,000 euro, the grant, you know, the total cost would have to be in and around five, uh, five and a half thousand because the grant can be up to 75%. Now, it doesn't have to be that, and we state that. Grants last year ranged between somewhere between 51 to 75%. But when we make an offer to someone, they always have at least two to three weeks and decide whether they accept the offer. It's hard to know. Like, we have some... We have some very small projects, you know, four to five thousand, but we'd have ones that are, you know, in and around, you know, 15, 16, 70. And we also also have quite a few in it around the 25,000 uh, per job. Like if you think of it, most of the buildings that we deal with, they're on the first ordnance survey maps. So they're at least 180 years old, you know, in some cases older. So if you think of it, a grant of whether it's 4,000 or 25,000 is a very good investment in that structure. You know, that's how we would see it in terms of its endurance and its durability. And we would see that then in terms of goodness knows how long more it could last with that investment, you know. And Anna, having worked with you over the years, I yeah. think it's evolved slightly. And I know you were always keen to, to encourage us to encourage farmers with small um, small buildings with small amounts of work we're yeah. trying to think of the very yeah. grand now the examples yeah. which were lovely but it, yeah. that's something you want to encourage it's something i want to encourage and that's why i like i specifically wanted to include just a lot of small buildings that we've supported like you know with grants generally there can be a lot of management of expectations 
there can be a desire and a wholly understandable desire to, you know, do everything. But the thing is, sometimes by doing everything, you can lose actually quite a lot. Like one of the things that we try and do is we're trying to, let's say, keep a lot of the historic fabric that that gives that building its character. So it's, it's you know, you have to be quite careful of, you know, in terms of what you're doing. And also, you can also, you know, the buildings aren't habitable. They're used for the farm. So things that maybe you could not get away with if you were living in, in a house, you can get away with in terms of a farm building. It's quite, it's quite something in terms of how they can endure with, you know, you know, a little bit of, you know, what I call like say judicious works, you know. And maybe just one more, Mark, before I go back to you. Um, I know you use the word weatherproofing a lot. And there's one question there about, is it better to put a modern roof on an old building to help preserve it and make use of it rather than leaving it unroofed and falling away? Um, that's I, that, that's a, a general question. So I, 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 I'm going to be careful about this. Like, I would think if, you, if it's your building, and you might have, let's say, you don't want it to get any worse. And you might think that at some point in the future that you want to use that building, you could think about putting what I would call, say, a very um, kind of cheap, uh, a very cheap weatherproofing roof on it. You know, I do know people who've put, let's say, what I would call, you know, a very light timber with uh, galvanized sheeting on a particular building just to let's say safeguard it you're not having water coming down the wall tops and it means that it's giving them the time now they're not in gloss or anything but it's giving them to time to think about when they do have the resources how what they could do with that building and how they might use it you know now um is there any advice you can offer um farmers when it comes to choosing a builder and or conservation architect uh, when it comes to, to to getting the best advice and, and building getting that team in place oh what advice um uh, what you could probably well definitely have uh, first of all have a conversation with with someone and i always say like first you know you have to feel comfortable with whoever you're talking to that will kind of matter but like somebody, somebody, let's say, I would talk to somebody in terms of and, and chat to them in terms of the kind of work that they have been involved in and what they might have worked on. And somebody who has worked, let's say, in stone in particular or on old buildings, they would tend to wax lyrical because they have such a love for stone. And that's usually a very good starting point. The same way, if you, let's say, with patch, I would say in terms of thatch, uh, whatever about looking when something is newly thatched, see the works maybe that that thatcher has done five, six years ago and see how that roof is. So you're looking. So if you can also get to see something that they have repaired and also maybe talk to somebody who has worked with that builder, that would be also another point too. That's good advice. Um... We had Hugh Carey last week uh, from the National Monuments That's Service. That's right, yeah, I was listening. And, uh, yeah. A really fascinating presentation from Hugh. And uh, one of the points we discussed was the common agricultural policy and the um, maybe the, the, the lack uh, or the apparent lack of, of mention of, of archaeology in, in the, the future plans. Are, are, are there... 
are you happy about the direction which the cap is going around these heritage buildings or what would you like to see uh, happening? We're, we're in the middle of a, a, a consultation period now at the moment. Yeah. Cap uh, strategic plan in Ireland. Yeah, we, we certainly want to see the farm building scheme continue, you know, in, ter in terms of agriculture. We feel it's kind of very much embedded within it. But we've, we've like one of the things that I've thought about, particularly in the last couple of years, that doesn't come a lot in term and doesn't come a lot up generally, not just in terms of the, his, the historic farm buildings, but generally all our historic you know, buildings is like, you know, we're part of the EU Green Deal now. And, uh, you know, there's an awful lot coming down the tracks in terms of retrofitting. And like we have this massive existing resource in terms of historic buildings, massive. They're all over the country and they are wholesome embodied energy. The materials are already there, they're in them. They've already been built, it's there. So we're not using the energy to do that. We need to do much more work in that area. That's something that I would like to, let's say, do more on, let's say particularly for the scheme. But like the scheme, we can't, let's say, for instance, we can't, consider hay barns, you know, the corrugated iron hay barns, which originally came in in around 1900 under a grant scheme. There's at least 50,000 of them around the country. We can't grant aid them under this particular scheme. Should we be also looking at them? Should we be looking at the loss requirement? The grants that are supported, the grants are in terms of capital funding, capital works. So we can't look at areas of research. We can't look at areas of education. We can't look at areas really of conservation plans so feasibility studies so should we also be looking at that but we are interested to be honest in other people telling us what they might like to see how the scheme could develop and change you know so do you have plans to to have a public consultation or engage with the, the farming community around that uh we do we do have, there there are plans uh uh, but to, with the department in terms of let's say an evaluation of the scheme so we will be reaching out to stakeholders at that's at that end but to be honest anybody anybody who has any ideas about how they might like to scheme they're very welcome to to email me and we'll take anything on board really I, it's quite interesting you know Catherine a few more questions coming through there from uh, our audience yeah I suppose advisors wanting to know um or is there a plan for we say applications in 2021 and 2022 or any time scale or any and and would REIT be eligible or is it just loss at the moment well it's it's definitely you know well our scheme is you know grants are issued there's somewhere in the region of 80 to 90 projects and that number will probably fall at the moment that have been offered you know a grant so that's 2021 in 2022 we'll still be in transitional arrangements so I do think the gloss requirement will be still there. Now, I don't know uh, because there will still obviously be farmers in gloss and it's beyond that that we're looking at. So it's, it's probably in a way, it's still too early in terms of next year, in terms of let's say that gloss requirement. That's something that would have to be agreed with the Department of Agriculture. And timing, I think it was last autumn, we had the, those applications for the 80 you spoke about. So are we talking about this autumn for for next year's applications or next no, spring? No, it was it was actually it opened in March this year. Catherine, sorry. sorry. Yes. So it's it'll, it'll, year, maybe. it'll it'll probably 
I'd say we, we, we don't open the scheme until we know the funding that's available for it. And generally the way government and department works is that, you know, funding is allocated and, you know, budgets are being sorted now and it takes quite some time. So I would think it'll probably be early in 2022, you know. A question coming through here uh, from a farmer uh, who did apply to the scheme mm. and uh, was refused. Oh. And, um, but would, is looking for advice on yeah. how to maybe improve or get some guidance on, on how maybe he can be successful in the future. Um, how should he, um, in this case, uh, where, where, or where can he go to for, for advice, that, that type of advice? He should probably contact us if he hasn't already. I mean, one of the things is uh, this year we received somewhere in the region of 370, 375 applications, I think. So if you've got funding for 70 to 80 projects, there's going to be more people that don't get a grant offer than do. But we have a system of screening that's carried out first and then also of uh, assessment. So I don't know if this particular farmer, if the application, if it failed on screening, that means that he was missing just particular required information. But if it, it, but if it, if it, if it failed on scoring, that's something that we could talk about, you know what I mean, whether it's possible to improve that score. But also if it failed on screening, we could certainly, that certainly should be easy to improve on. That project that I showed in the Man Valley, uh, that far, the farmer with the tin roof and the, the building built into the hillside, he failed every year, first year, second year, third year. We kept saying, please provide the photo of the building and the wider surroundings. We never received it. Sometimes what happens is you'll get the photo from the building of the wider surroundings rather than the building. People don't particularly recognize that. And we've tried to do quite a bit of work on that. And it was, I think it was either the third or fourth year that we got some very good photographs as well as other information from him. So, but that welcome, that, that farmer is welcome to contact us, you know, in terms of, let's say this particular application this year. I presume Catherine, the advice as well as to talk to your local advisor who can- yeah. Uh, provide assistance there with with that process yes absolutely and i mean we have tried to to we've used fantastic material from anna in our courses mark so some of that information is available through chagas actually that that same farmer was just asking a question about a lime kiln that he has on his farm oh. <laughs> uh, that is in need of repair um, for disintegrates i was asking is this is this eligible does that, the, that fall under a monument or a <laughs> traditional building? The, the, I, I will say the lime kiln is not eligible because um, one of the things in terms of the, let's say what we might call other related structures is that, you know, it must be serving a purpose for the farm. If you think, let's say, a field boundary, that's the boundary for holding in, you know, the sheep or the cattle and the field gates is providing the access. The lime kiln of which there are many, many throughout the country is not particularly eligible on this scheme. I will say, I don't know if it's actually happened yet and I don't know where this lime kiln is. I know the heritage officer, Joe Galler in Donegal wants to carry out a survey of lime kilns in the county. So it, that may be something that other heritage officers do. And if something like that happens, I don't know then if there would be a possibility of funding at some stage, but at the moment, uh, no, there's not. Okay, uh, Catherine, have you any final questions or comments? 
about a, a house with mud walls. Mm. Beautiful. Is it, is it eligible for repairs? Or for under the scheme, is it eligible? If it's a house with mud walls, it's a little bit like the tower house that we showed. We can only support other buildings. The scheme is a traditional farm building scheme. So the primary buildings that have always been supported and are eligible are barns, stables, dairies, buyers, hen houses. But we also, and it's, it's in the criteria, that we can consider other traditional buildings, provided that they are in active agricultural use. So if that building is in active agricultural use for the farm, then it would be considered an eligible building. Very good. Uh, we've just come up on time. And Great. I want to thank you very much for thank your you. presentation. A lot of compliments coming through in the, the Q&A here. Oh, thanks uh, very much. Yeah. Oh, people really find it fascinating. And I think people are maybe not aware sometimes of that side of uh, the work that we do here in, mm. in in Chagask and, and the Heritage Council. So it's nice to touch on that. Um, I suppose a final reminder to everybody, do log on to National Heritage Week. Absolutely. Uh, Heritageweek.ie <laughs> um, uh, and uh, see what's on your doorstep. Yeah. Uh, Catherine, thanks very much uh, for helping with questions and, and your advice as well for, for our, our viewers today. And uh, next week, uh, we'll be talking to Suzanne Higgins uh, from uh, AFBI who's going to be talking to us about uh, optimal fertilization uh, for uh, more extensive uh, systems. So we look forward to uh, Suzanne joining us next week. Um, a reminder again, today's uh, webinar will be available on the Chagas website, uh, along with Anna's uh, presentation. So uh, we do look forward to seeing you next week again. Thanks to our production team, Yvonne Maher, Andy Boland and Pat Murphy. And again, thanks, Catherine, uh, for your help in putting together this, this part of the series. So uh, we will talk to you all again next week. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagask.ie. And you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.